Another weekend is upon us, and uh, all of you have drawn the short straw and have gotten stuck with me again. Uh, you've got the uh, long-winded, intense Italian rather than the smooth-talking Texan who's known as the faster pastor. That would be Pastor Ben. Uh, he's back next week, though, so uh, don't think that we, like, kicked him out of here or anything. Uh, so uh, before you try to, like, be real discreet and figure out a plan that you can kind of exit out of here without me seeing you, uh, rest assured that I'm going to keep this evening's message relatively brief. Uh, it has been uh, one of those weeks uh, that they tell you about in seminary and you hope will never happen, uh, but I, I had the privilege uh, of spending a good part of uh, the week ministering to a family of five kids ages 16 to 28 who tragically lost their 53-year-old uh, mom. And uh, we performed the, the service for the mom on, on Thursday. And that was just a half of it. Uh, last Sunday afternoon, I got home from church and I was just uh, relaxing and my, my phone rings. It's my mom. She's in tears. She's telling me that my 75-year-old uh, real estate-selling father, uh, while holding an open house in a remote location of Perry County, managed to uh, trip over a root, fall, and severely break his right shoulder. Uh, rather than immediately calling us for help, uh, my dad, thinking he was still in the Marine Corps, uh, finished showing the house to a potential buyer. And then, I cannot believe this, man. He headed to Sheets for a Diet Coke. Yeah, hoorah, that's right, yeah. And then with, with one arm, I don't know how you hold a Diet Coke and the steering wheel at the same time, he managed to drive to Osteo. I met him at Osteo. Uh, the waiting room at Osteo was jammed. I said, Dad, we probably uh, can get over to the OIP orthopedic clinic that's over in Camp Hill and get uh, taken care of a lot faster. And so we went over there and uh, got him all squared away. And then Thursday, right after the funeral, I rushed over to the West Shore uh, Hospital and uh, hung out with him while he had surgery all uh, afternoon and evening. Uh, so if any one of you is interested in adopting a 75-year-old uh, parent, uh, you can see me after the service. I have one that's available for you. My goodness. So uh, needless to say, my uh, message prep time has been negatively affected this week. Uh, but rest assured, uh, I did my best uh, of studying. I feel like I'm ready to kind of rock and roll here. So uh, the message will be a little bit shorter than usual. So today we're going to, uh, this evening, we're going to talk about uh, the topic of disobedience. And specifically, uh, we're going to talk about it, how it relates to disobeying God and the ramifications that flow from that disobedience. And I wanted to start off with a, a little illustration here. Uh, there, there was an incident that was recorded by a pastor by the name of Henry Blackaby. Some of you may be familiar with him. Uh, years ago, he wrote a, a workbook called Experiencing God, a very, very powerful uh, devotional uh, that's transformational to a lot of people, including myself. And when Blackaby was a, a young pastor, the very first funeral that he presided over was that of a beautiful three-year-old little girl. Uh, the little girl was the firstborn child of a couple in his church. She was the first grandchild in their extended family. And unfortunately, 
Uh, she was also extremely spoiled. And so one day, uh, Blackaby went and visited the, the little girl and, and the parents at their home, and, and he observed that the girl found joy in ignoring her parents' instructions. When mom and dad would say, sit, the kid would stand. When mom and dad would say, come here, uh, the kid would run away, and the parents laughed, finding her behavior to be cute. Well, one day, the uh, fence to their house, which was in the front yard, the, the gate was left open, and the parents saw uh, their precious child making a beeline through the fence and heading out onto the busy street. And to their horror, they see a car is running down the street, racing down the street. The little girl runs between two parked cars. The, the mom and dad scream at her to stop and turn back. The little girl pauses for a second, looks at mom and dad, and with a grin on her face, sprints out into the street and runs directly into the path of an oncoming car. The parents rush their little girl to the hospital, and she tragically died from her injuries. And I remember reading that story from experiencing God when my kids were very little. And it was a watershed moment for me as a parent. It profoundly uh, impacted the, the way that I, I, I looked at how we should be raising our kids. You see, disobedience is serious. And it's especially serious when the disobedience is directed towards God. It's not cute. It's not acceptable. Allowing it isn't loving, and most of all, it comes with unexpected consequences, sometimes consequences that are extremely horrific. The unexpected horrific consequences of disobedience are exactly what we're going to look at this evening as we continue our study through the last half of the book of Genesis entitled, uh, The Children of Abraham, A Legacy of Faith. And so uh, this evening, we're going to focus on chapter 34. If you have a Bible with you, uh, if you could find that in your Bible, if you've got a Bible app, open it, find chapter 34. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles on the tables around the room. Please feel free uh, to take one. If you don't own a Bible, we want you uh, to take that home with you. We want it to be your Bible, and we want you to, to use it. Uh, Genesis chapter 34, and if you're able to stand, if you would do so, and please, in honor of God's word. Your legs are going to get tired on this one. Big chapter. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the woman, women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this girl for my wife. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter Dina, or Dinah, excuse me. But his sons were with his livestock in the field. So Jacob held his peace until they came. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard of it, and the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing must not be done. 
But Hamor spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. You shall dwell with us and the land shall be open to you. Dwell and trade in it and get property in it. Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes and whatever you say to me I will give. Ask me for as great a bride price and gift as you will and I will give you whatever you say to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully because he had defiled their sister Dinah. And he said to them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you that you will become as we are by every male among you being circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you and we will take your daughters to ourselves and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. Their words pleased Hamor and Hamor's son Shechem. And the young men did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most honored of all his father's house. So Hamor and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as wives and let us give our daughters. Only on this condition will the men agree to dwell with us to become one people. When every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock, their property, and all their beasts be ours? Only let us agree with them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of the city listened to Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of the city. On the third day, when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure, and killed all the males. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with a, sword, uh, with a sword, and they took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds, their donkeys, and whatever was in the city and in the field, all their wealth, all their little ones and their wives, all that was in the houses they captured and plundered. And Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me a stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said, Should he treat our sister like a prostitute? This is the word of God. You may be seated. Now, what we just read is one of the most disturbing chapters in all of Scripture. It speaks of the horrific rape of a young woman and the premeditated revenge mass murder of scores of men, the vast majority who did not have anything to do with the rape. And what makes these events even more tragic is that they didn't have 
to happen. You see, last week I told you that when Jacob's brother Esau uh, invited Jacob to travel with him to his home in Seir, that Jacob deceived him. Uh, to keep uh, from traveling to Jacob's home, Jacob told Esau this lame excuse that he's got these young kids and these young flocks and they're not going to be able to, to make this journey and keep up and everyone's going to die in a day if we follow you, although these kids and these animals have already traveled 400 miles. But Jacob also told Esau, don't worry that he's not coming, I'm not coming along with you because in a little while I, I will come along and I, I will bring my family and my livestock down to, to be with you in Seir. However, Jacob never did that. Instead, he went to a town called Shechem, a town that was inhabited by people who were not followers of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I believe that Jacob went there not because God wanted him there, but because Jacob wanted to be there. It was far enough from Esau to make Jacob feel safe, just in case you know, Esau changes his mind about killing Jacob, that there's enough distance between them. And it was a place that had abundant land to pasture his flocks. Unfortunately, it wasn't the place where God wanted him to be. Now, how can I say that? Well, if we look back at, at chapter 31, verse 3, when Jacob is getting ready to flee from his father-in-law Laban, we see what God says to Jacob. It says, Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So God's telling Jacob, it's time to go home. And so he prepares to make this 500-mile journey uh, south from what's now probably, you know, modern-day Syria, Turkey area, all the way down to the Palestine area. And he says, I will be with you. But where exactly is he supposed to go? What, what area is he supposed to head to? Well, in just a few verses later, in verse 13, we read this. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise Go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. See, God had called Jacob to go specifically to the town of Bethel. But instead of obeying God, Jacob stopped about 25 miles north in the town of Shechem. And he didn't just pause there. He actually set up home there. In chapter 33, we read this from last week. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is the land of Canaan, on his way from Padan Aram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. You see, the last time that I checked, if you're going to stay in a room for a couple of days, you don't buy the whole hotel. But that's what he's doing. He, he's, he's bought a place and he's going to, to build his home there. He has absolutely no intention of obeying God. Shechem, from his perspective, was a safe place. It was close enough to where God wanted him to be, yet comfortable enough to be far away from Esau. But there's the problem. You see, when we step outside of God's will and we are disobedient, things most of the time don't go well. And God warned us of this very truth in Deuteronomy chapter 11, just after God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, he says this, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. 
the blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I'm commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. In other words, with obedience comes blessing. But you need to understand it's the blessing that God determines it's going to be. We think that we should get certain things by being obedient. God has other plans. He blesses us in ways that, that we might not understand, might not even like. God gets to choose what the blessing looks like. But similarly, with disobedience comes pain. Sometimes it's much less pain than we deserve. Other times it's much more than we desire. And in chapter 34, Jacob finds this out in a very difficult way. And in this passage, we're going to discover three truths about disobedience. Our disobedience endangers our loved ones, it empowers evil, and it exposes our self-centeredness. So let's look at how it endangers our loved ones. Look again at verse 1 and 2 of 34. Now, now uh, Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. Now, we don't have any idea how old Dinah was. But most probably, she was in her teens. But this is what we do know. She had 11 brothers and no sisters. So it's not a surprise when her family finally stops traveling and actually settles down, she wants to go find some people who are not males. She wants to go and, and find some young women and, and, and to spend some, some time with them. But the problem is she's not in her hometown anymore. She happens to be in, in a very dangerous place, a very hostile place. And so when Shechem, which is not only the name of the town, but also the name of an individual who just happens to be a prince, when he sees her, he grabs her and he rapes her. And then look at verses 3 and 4 and try not to vomit. And when his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, he loved the woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father, Hamor, saying, Get me this girl for my wife. You see, after raping her, he told her that he loved her, and he spoke tenderly to her. That, brothers and sisters, is exactly what abusers do. Abusers hurt their victim, and then they seek to be kind to them. It's a twisted form of control and it's nothing short of evil. But this pathetic, entitled, no doubt, trust fund-supported criminal still isn't done. He pathetically goes to his father and asks his dad to arrange it so that he might marry her, the very woman that he raped. And you see, everything about this encounter, it should make our blood boil. That women are treated this way, not just in the past, but even today in our enlightened and progressive society is reprehensible. Like men, women too are the image bearers of God. And as such, every woman 
is worthy of love, care, protection, and respect. There is no place in God's word where one person is allowed to dominate another person. But that's exactly what happened here. And one of the primary reasons why it happened was because her dad, Jacob, was disobedient. If Jacob would have obeyed God and would have went directly to Bethel rather than doing his own thing, Dinah would never have been raped by Shechem. And brothers and sisters, when we put ourselves outside of God's will, when we choose to disobey him, we open ourselves and our loved ones up to unimaginable pain. And some of us sitting in this room right now, we know that full well. We have chosen a path of disobedience. We knew what God expected. We knew what he required. We knew what he was calling us to do. But rather than follow it, we chose to do things our own way. And in our disobedience, we've endangered not only ourselves, but our loved ones. And that's a bad place to be. But our disobedience doesn't just endanger our loved ones. It does something else, something that people don't typically think about, and it's this. It also empowers evil. You see, the evil that Jacob unleashed through the disobedience is everywhere in this passage. It's it's through the entire passage. The most obvious display of evil is with the actions of Shechem that we've already discussed. But he's not the only one who's acted in an evil way. Look at verses 5, 6, and 7. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter, Dinah, but his sons were with his livestock in the field. So Jacob held his peace until they came. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. And the sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard of it. And the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with with Jacob's daughter, for such thing must not be done. You see, one of the greatest evils in our world that typically goes unnoticed is the evil of passivity. Passivity is knowing the right thing to do and not doing it. And the Bible has a term for the word passivity. It's called sin. In James 4, we read this. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. You see, evil flourishes when passivity reigns. There's a famous quote that was attributed to the 18th century Irish politician by the name of Edmund Burke, but actually it most probably came from a a British philosopher by the name of J.S. Mills that says this, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And Jacob, he is the epitome of, of passivity and evil triumphs because of his passivity. When he learns of his daughter's rape, we're told he holds his peace until they came. You see, Jacob doesn't act, he doesn't say anything, he doesn't do anything until his sons actually return from the field. Now that's pathetic. 
But what's worse is throughout the balance of this passage, through all the negotiations with Hamor, Shechem's father, who's silent? It's Jacob. He doesn't say anything through the entire passage. His daughter has just been raped. And he sits back and he keeps his peace and he allows his sons to avenge their sister. You see, make no mistake about it, evil flourishes in the midst of passivity. But there is another evil that is unleashed because of Jacob's disobedience. And that's the evil committed by his sons in extracting revenge. You see, certainly evil needs to be punished. Rapists need to be placed in jail for a very long time. That's why God created government. The Bible teaches us that one of the key purposes of government is to restrain evil and promote that which is good. In 1 Peter, we read this. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. In other words, as citizens, we're called to be obedient to our government. But on the flip side, our government is called to, to punish evil and to do that which is good. Now, we don't know much about the government that was in the town of, of Shechem, but we do know a, a couple things. The prince of, prince of the town, Shechem, the dude's a, a rapist. And his dad, the king, is an enabler. See, clearly justice is not going to get met out by this government. So Jacob's sons decide they're going to take the law into their own hands. That's their game plan. Now, now you and I know this isn't the correct course of action because we have the New Testament. And the New Testament declares this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord. You see, God calls us as, as followers of Jesus Christ to restrain ourselves from revenge. That, that, that it's not our job to avenge things. Instead, we're to, to allow God himself to deal with those who have injured us. But even if Jacob's sons didn't know God's perspective on this, they still acted in an evil way. Because after Hamor suggests that Dinah be given in marriage to Shechem, this is what happens. Look at verses 34, or 13 to 17. So the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully because he had defiled their sister Dinah. And they said to them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you that you will become as we are by every male among you being circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you and we will take your daughters to ourselves and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. You see, Jacob's sons are acting evilly because they're, they're deceitful, but they're also being evil by using circumcision, the very sign of the covenant 
that God has made with his people. They're using the circumcision not for the glory of God, but to incapacitate the men of Shechem so that they can kill them. And then the greatest evil is when they ultimately kill all the men of Shechem. Look at verses 25 through 29. On the third day, when they were all sore, a grand understatement by the Bible, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dina's brothers, took their sword and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. Look around the room for a second. Think of every man in this room being killed. They slaughtered them all. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with a sword and took Dina out of Shechem's house and went away. And the sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. And they took their flocks and their herds, their donkeys, and whatever was in the city and in the field, all their wealth, all their little ones, and their wives, all that was in the houses, they captured and plundered. Now, I know what some of you are thinking because I'm thinking the exact same thing. If this young lady was my daughter, if that was Nicole, okay, and the government's not going to do anything about it, I'm going in, all right? I'm going to be all Rambo, Jason Bourne, and the Terminator all wrapped into one package, all right? I'm not thinking twice about it. So I get that, but it doesn't make it right, but I get it. So here's my point. If Jacob would have, in the very first place, obeyed God, none of this would have happened. None of these people would have been slaughtered. His daughter wouldn't have been raped. None of this would have occurred. And many times we find ourselves in no-win situations where evil is all around us because our sin of disobedience put us in those situations. Okay, third and final point, and it's this. Our disobedience exposes our self-centeredness. Look again at verses 30 and 31. And Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said, Should he treat our sister like a prostitute? You see, when we disobey God, one of our natural tendencies is to think only about ourselves and not others. And nowhere do we read that Jacob did anything to rescue Dinah, let alone to minister to her. And when her brothers act, albeit in an evil manner, Jacob's concern is not for the people who they killed or for the actions of his sons. He's primarily concerned about who? Jacob. That's who he cares about. Look carefully at verse 30. Let me read this to you and put some emphasis on first-person things. You have brought trouble on me by making me stink. My numbers are few. If they gather themselves against me and attack me, then I shall be destroyed. 
both I and my household. Finally, at the very end, he's got some concern for someone other than himself. Now, the very reason why we choose to disobey God is because we think really highly of ourselves. That's what. We think that, that we know better than God. God says, do this, and we're like, no, 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 no. I don't want to do this because I've got a better idea, God. God says, don't do this, and we're like, no, 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 no. I want to do that because I've got a better idea than you do, God. And, and, and this, brothers and sisters, this is the heart of sin. When you cut everything to the chase, the heart of sin is when we make stuff all about ourselves. Remember how Satan tempted the first man and woman. This is what it says. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. You see, Satan came and tempted Adam and Eve to disobey, and they take the bait. He causes them to question God's word. He causes them to question God's goodness. And then he, he pulls out the big guns. And he tells them that they can be something that we all want to be. That they can be God. That they can be in charge. No mind, they were already in charge of everything in the world. Overseers of everything in the world. There was just one thing they had to do. They had to worship God. But they said, no, I want to be in charge of ultimately myself. And so they disobeyed. And in their disobedience, evil was unleashed. And as the evil flowed from generation to generation, people are hurt. And all that Adam and Eve really cared about was themselves. And that cycle of disobedience and pain has continued for the balance of creation. However, 2,000 years ago, somebody decided it was time to break the cycle. Somebody decided to fully obey God the Father. Somebody decided to protect those that he loved. Somebody decided to restrain evil. And somebody decided that it actually wasn't about them, but rather it was about others. That somebody was Jesus Christ. Where we disobeyed, Jesus obeyed. Through all of our disobedience, we inflicted pain on others. And through all of his obedience, he allowed pain to be inflicted upon himself. 
through our disobedience, evil was unleashed. Through Jesus' obedience, evil was conquered. And while we chose to look out for ourselves, Jesus chose to look out for us. And brothers and sisters, obedience is hard, especially when life is hard. But don't give up. Turn to Jesus. He carries you through the struggles. And be encouraged by the words of Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking not to ourselves, but to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Lord God, thank you for uh, the truth of your word. Thank you for the lessons that we can learn through the sin of Jacob and his sons and Shechem and Hamor. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would work in our lives in such a way that, Lord, that we would choose to obey you rather than disobey you. We pray, Heavenly Father, that, that in our obedience that you would be pleased. Uh, Lord, that our obedience would bring, bring blessing not only to ourselves, but also to others. And Father, we pray for your, your grace and your mercy in the midst of our disobedience. Father, every one of us has, has struggles and, and, and battles, and, and there, there's particular sins that each of us deal with, Heavenly Father. And, and Lord, many times we we hear your voice and, and we know what you want us to do, but Lord, it is so difficult to do. We pray, Heavenly Father, that when those times come, that Lord, the spirit that lives inside of those who've repented of their sins and have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that that spirit would bring conviction to our hearts and strength to our minds. And Lord God, that we would flee from sin and choose that which is good. God, work in lives of this church family. Help us, Heavenly Father, to care about the things that you care about. Lord God, let us be a, a people who is concerned about justice, Heavenly Father. Uh, Lord, justice for, for those who are, are living in our midst that we can see every day. Justice for those who, who are in the womb, Heavenly Father. Justice for the infirm. Justice for the foreigner, dear God. Help us to be a people who obey you and follow you and love you and care about you. And Lord, don't just get puffed up by knowledge, but actually do the hard work of being a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. God, help us to be obedient so that you may be glorified and so that we might be blessed. And it's through your son's name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.